Thank you, brother. Please open with me to the book of Hebrews as we continue to work our way through that book. We're going to be in chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses uh, 19. We'll be reading verses 19 through 25. We'll be focusing specifically on verse 23 this morning. I don't know if you've uh, seen the movie Forrest Gump. You know that the movie opens and closes with that, that image of a feather that in the opening credits comes and lands at Forrest's feet. And at the end of the movie, you see the feathers there at his foot, and it takes off again. It's been proposed that that's the metaphor for the whole movie, this floating feather. There are many theories on what it means. It could mean a metaphor for the random nature of life, or perhaps an expression of, of fatalism, whether feather's going to go where it's going to go. Or maybe innocence being carried away with Forrest Gump. Or, or it's been poor, put forth that it's just a, a metaphor for blind luck in life. But I think Forrest actually gives us the answer to what that feather means in the movie when he's kneeling at, at his, the love of his life, eventually his, his wife Jenny's grave. He's kneeling there. And he says this, I don't know if we each have a destiny or if we're all just floating around accident-like on the breeze. But I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. That's the tension that that movie keeps throughout the whole time you're watching it, isn't it? And in our text this morning, there's this a similar tension that we have to keep. Are we holding fast to Christ or is Christ holding fast to us? I'm going to read the whole section here, verses 19 through 25, but we are going to be looking specifically at verse 23, but I want us to get the context of verse 23. So look at verse 19 with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that has been opened to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. We've been looking at this section 
we've kind of put the brakes on in our study of Hebrews to look at this section because it's the conclusion of the first nine chapters and even into chapter 10. Because Jesus came and accomplished a superior work in a superior place, a new tabernacle, creating a superior covenant, the new covenant, with a superior sacrifice, not bulls and goats, but himself. Because he's done that work, and because he's coming again, you notice that those two are the bookends, his first coming and his second coming in our text. Because he's coming again, there are three implications in the life of the believer, and they all begin with let us. There's three lettuces, if you will. And we looked at the first one two weeks ago, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's the first implication of what he has said in the first ten chapters. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Because of what Christ has done, he has opened this new and living way through the curtain that is his body. We have been given access to God. Free access to God. If you draw to him with a sincere heart, and we looked at that two weeks ago, what does a sincere heart look like? It is one who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes that in his heart. Hebrews, I mean, Romans 10 says, if you do that sincerely, you will be saved. If you understand that you need forgiveness, that you need a Savior, that you cannot self-save, and that your sins distance you from God, and if you confess those sins and repent of those sins and look to Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, if you realize that Jesus lived that perfect life and died that sacrificial death for you so that you could have his perfect righteousness, and that he would absorb the penalty for your sin. If you believe that, and if you believe that he is raised from the dead, that we do not serve a dead God, but a living God, that he conquered sin and death and Satan through his resurrection, if you believe that, you have full assurance of salvation. You are saved. You can be absolutely sure and confident. That's verse 22. But verse 23 goes on in the very next verse. The author says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Christ completed the work of salvation, but we're called to persevere in our faith, knowing all along that he has accomplished it. That's what this verse is saying. Hold fast, even though you're held fast. Persevere, even though your salvation is protected. Work hard, even though the work has been done for you. That's the tension of this verse. This is one of those strange antinomies of Scripture. An antinomy is an apparent contradiction between conclusions which each seem equally reasonable, logical, and necessary. An apparent contradiction between conclusions 
which seem equally reasonable, logical, and necessary. And that's what we have before us today. This, is, this verse is antinomous, if you will. Two truths that are equally supported in Scripture that seem or apparently contradict each other. I mean, this isn't the only one in Scripture. We have predestination and free will, right? There's a tension right there. You have, you have Christ who is completely human, yet completely divine. There's a tension we have to hold right there, right? And right here as well. Persevere, even though your salvation is guaranteed. Or, more provocatively maybe, work at your salvation. Even though the work is accomplished. I'd like us to think about this, this tension in medicinal terms. I grew up in a household that basically had four drugs. You had Alka-Seltzer, Pepto-Bismol, Aspirin, and Vicks Vapor Rub. Those were the four things. If you had a headache, it was aspirin. If you had a body ache, it was Vicks Vapor Rub. If you had a tummy ache, it was either Alka-Seltzer or Pepto-Bismol. And any one of those combinations my mom would apply to us. God help us if we got a sore throat. Because we got the dreaded wool sock, scratchy wool sock, slathered with Vicks Vapor Rub and attached around our neck. And you would have to sit there for hours. My mother had specific medicines for specific weaknesses or maladies. And if, if, if you will, if you'll bear with me, that's kind of what scripture does. There are different medicines for different things, and sometimes they seem to be contradictory, but they're just different medicines. For different people, maybe for different even times in life. For those of us who tend to lean in the direction of works righteousness, who tend to put more, more weight on the foot of, of human responsibility, who tend to think of, of it, it's my grip on Christ that does it. We need the medicine to know that he who is, has promised will be faithful. We need the exhale of, of knowing that God is sovereign. We need to know and realize and hear that it is God who saves God who sanctifies, God who sustains, and God will glorify. It was so encouraging to hear somebody pray about praising God for sustaining us in our salvation. Philippians 1, chapter 6, tells us that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's what we need to hear. For those of us who put so much weight into our grip of Christ. But then there are those of us who lean in the direction of, of the sovereignty of God. We put, put a lot of weight on the sovereignty of God in salvation. It is God who draws. It is God who saves. It is God's grip on us. And I think this verse gives that person the medicine 
to say, listen, hold fast to your confession without wavering. In other words, it's a reminder to persevere. It's a reminder to work hard in your salvation. Second Peter tells us, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. Be diligent. We sometimes need that medicine too. These are the different medicines that scripture applies so we do not slip into spiritual apathy on one side and works righteousness on the other. This is the tension that is perfect in scripture. In other words, there is scriptural medicine for both the Calvinist and the Arminian. So let's start taking our medicine. First, for the Calvinist, persevere in your salvation. Persevere. Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. Here the author is exhorting his readers to hold fast to that confession that they made, that that confession of Christ alone. For those of you who have been with us throughout this study in Hebrews, you know the context from which the author is, is writing this. He's writing to a group of Jewish converts who are under intense persecution and pressure, and, and this author has, has learned that they are thinking of actually walking away from Christ. You know what? It's too hard. I can't take it anymore. Let's just go back to the Jewish Orthodox faith. I won't get crushed. It's legal. I won't get persecuted. A little further on in chapter 10, and you can look over, perhaps it's on the same page, in verses 32, 33, and 34 in chapter 10, you get an understanding of, of a little of what these Jewish converts were going through. They were being publicly mocked. They were being thrown into prison. Their property was being taken away from them for, for simply being Christians, Christ followers. So they thought if we turn away from Christ, if we go back to our Jewish faith, it will stop. That's a temptation when the world opposes us, isn't it? Not holding fast our confession of faith. Now maybe you're sitting here thinking in your mind, well, well, pastor, I would never turn my back on Christ. That's silly. And that may be true. I believe you. But we do that in much subtler ways than saying, I don't believe in Christ anymore, don't we? By diluting the radical calls of Scripture on our life. Scripture calls us to live such different lives in this world that people notice that people say, there's something different about you. Why don't you fill in the blank? But we are so tempted to dilute that and just blend in. I don't want, if I don't look any different, if I don't sound any different, nothing will happen. Or scripture calls us to be salt and light, gently, and respectfully in this world. But we quietly dilute that by closing our mouth, don't we? 
I mean, we're not going to talk about abortion when it comes up. Just let it go at that dinner party or cocktail party. Or about evolution that is just a given nowadays. Don't say anything. It's why. Why stick out? Or especially with this new wave of, of transgender and gay marriage and homosexuality that has come just flooding into our culture in the last 10 years. Just don't open your mouth about that. Not even gently and respectfully. Just blend in. Don't be too radical. Scripture calls us to take up our cross each and every day. And many times we don't hold fast our confession by taking that cross and putting it in the closet in the morning and going about our day. We're called to live lives that are, that are marked by sacrifice and self-denial. How many of us sitting here today can right now instantly think of a time when you denied yourself because of your faith? Because of my faith. And all these and many other little ways, we do not make every effort. We do not persevere. We do not hold on to our confession. And the reason that Hebrews was written was to encourage them and us to persevere in these ways. To not give up. To hold fast. If you're a Bible marker, take out your pencil, turn back with me to chapter 2, and just put a tick mark next to these that the author encourages people to persevere. In chapter 2, verse 1, our author writes, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to that which we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Just turn over one page to chapter 3, verse 6. And you see there that our author writes, But Christ is faithful over the house of God as a son, and we are his house. People who proclaim Christ are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Just look a little further on in verse 14 in that same chapter. He goes on to write, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Persevere. Work hard. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 11. You see him writing it again. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness there. He's encouraging him and us, his audience and us, to strive to enter that rest. And if you turn over to chapter 6, we have that wonderful image of the anchor. Starting in verse 18, he writes, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. For we have this sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. If you remember, 
few months ago when we were in chapter 6, that word picture there, the word picture being drawn by the anchor, is in the time before ships had rudders, there was this huge rock that was put in the harbor, and attached to that rock was a big rope, and a rowboat, when a, when a ship was coming into the, to the harbor, a rowboat would row this big rope out to the ship, and the people on the ship would grab that rope and pull themselves into the harbor. That's the word picture. Pulling yourself in. The word picture is that Christ has secured our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. He has gone before us into the harbor of heaven. He is the first fruits of salvation. And the rope has been towed out to us and we hold on to that rope. And we are to make every effort. We must hold fast that rope. We must strive That's the first dose of medicine we need to hear today. You can't be a spiritual feather floating around in the air, claiming Christ and yet not doing anything proactively in your life. Paul wrote about this. He said, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control. In another place, he writes this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That, that verb work out means to continually work at bringing something to completion or fruition. Continue to work. We're to work at pulling on that rope. Scottish theologian James Moffat wrote, the Christian life must not be an initial spasm followed by chronic inertia. Does that describe some of you today? You cannot claim salvation and not work hard and not show evidence. William Barclay wrote, wrote, likewise, faith is not only commitment to the promise of Christ, but also commitment to his demands. We've said it many times from this pulpit before, you're saved by faith alone, but a saving faith is never alone. Genuine conversion is always accompanied with proactive perseverance in the faith. And that's what some of us need to hear today. Yes, Christ has done all the work in salvation. His work is completed on your behalf. But if you just stop there, if you just claim Christ and there's no evidence of it in your life, if you, if you claim to be a Christian and, and there's no spiritual sweat on your brow, if you're in feather mode, if there's no striving, no obedience, no spiritual diligence, if there's no apparent effort, I simply don't know what you mean by Christian. There's no category for that. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says in his 
second epistle. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and with steadfastness, godliness and with godliness, brotherly affection and with brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what, that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. <coughs> Peter gives us a really great beginning list here of what it looks like to make every effort, to hold on to the confession. He says, make every effort to be virtuous. Other translations have courage, goodness, or moral excellence. In other words, you're to work at moral excellence. It just doesn't occur. Once you say, I love and I'm serving Christ and it's Christ alone, you don't instantly start doing perfectly morally, do you? Make every effort to be knowledgeable. The Greek word there means practical knowledge. By that, I put in the category of knowing your Bible. Do you know your Bible? Because that takes effort. You just can't put it under your pillow and absorb it. You have to study. You have to come to Sunday school. Some of you need to come to Sunday school. You have to know your Bible. There is no excuse for not knowing the Bible if you've been a Christian five years or more. Make every effort to be self-controlled. The flesh wants to go in so many different wonky directions, doesn't it? You have to actually make an effort to say no and say yes to godliness. Make every effort to be steadfast. Most other translations say perseverance or endurance. That's the whole point, one of the major points of Hebrews. You have to persevere. You have to endure. You have to go through. Make every effort to be godly. These last three, godly, brotherly, affection, and love, are actually a flow into each other. Being godly means walking closely with God. And when you walk closely with God, the things that God cares about, you start caring about. And the major thing God cares about is his people, his church. And you start having affection for his church. And that affection grows into love. You know what? Loving in a church is hard. It's work. 
doesn't just come naturally. It takes, takes effort to, to encourage spiritual intimacy. It takes effort to be open and transparent. It takes effort to stay in a church where there's difficult relationships. And there's always difficult relationships in church. It takes effort to love someone who has sinned against you. And people in the same church sin against each other. You know what? It takes effort to forgive that person and to stay open to that person. Make every effort. Hold on to the confession. Work hard. That's the first medicine. There's another dose of medicine here too. There's another medicine for those who fear they can never do enough. There are people in this room that think they can never do enough to satisfy. There's another medicine for those who think they can lose their salvation. There's a wonderful dose of medicine for those who who lean on their grip on Christ. And that's the second part of our verse. And this is what you need to hear. Your salvation is protected. Your salvation is secure. This is the great exhale that comes from the, 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 the inhale of the first part of this sermon. This is the dose for perhaps the Arminian among us. Look at verse 23 again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here is the antinomy. Make every effort to work hard. There should be spiritual sweat on your brow, all the while knowing that Christ has you. All the while knowing that there's nothing you can do that you can lose his love. That there's nothing you can do, you will get to the other side. I don't know if you watched it about a week ago or heard or read about it. On June 23rd, Lajana and Nick Willenda, they are tight rope, rope walkers and they, they walked across Times Square. They had a tight rope strung across there, 25 stories up. Anybody know about this? A couple people? They come from generations of tightrope walkers, the flying Walendas of Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus. And what's unique and what's uh, kind of interesting about the Walendas is, is that they refuse to wear harnesses or work with a net. So there they were, 25 stories up with no net. Nick Willenda, when interviewed before this, the Times Square walk, said this, I believe that every one of us is walking on a tightrope in one way or another. Whether it be the tightrope of life or just whatever life throws at you, whether it be a health battle or just life or relationships, we're all on a high wire. We're all just trying to get to the other side. Now if I can just take that and spiritualize that for a second. From the time you give your life to Christ until your death, Jesus says you are to walk on the straight and narrow. Not the broad and wide, but the straight and narrow. It's like a tightrope. 
It's small. And we're just trying to get to the other side, get through this wilderness to the other side. And there are times during this walk when we lose our spiritual balance, isn't there? When we are tempted by false teaching or go through dry periods in our life or when sin ensnares us. There's even times when the wind kicks up and starts shaking that tightrope. A job loss or a health issue or an untimely death. What our text is telling us is there's a safety net right below you. Christ has you. You can never fall to your death. Jesus said, I will not lose any the Father has given me. Christ promised your eventual salvation, and he never breaks his promise. That's going back into the sixth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews says, it is impossible for God to lie. Eternal security does not depend on your perfect walk, but his perfect protection and sustaining. Not on your grip, but on his grip of you. 1 Thessalonians 25, 24 says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. A true believer will always make it to the other side. You might be 25 stories up, but there is a huge, thick, expansive net a few inches below you. And when you finally take this into your heart, It affects your walk hugely. Did you ever as a little kid walk on the curb between the sidewalk and the road? You know, just try and walk on the curb. You know, it's probably three or four inches wide. And you walk and and you walk fast. And, you know, maybe, maybe you tried to skip on it to see if you could stay on it. But you did those things because you knew if your foot slipped, it was just three or four inches down to the pavement. But you were still on this three or four inch wide curb. There's great freedom knowing that you're not going to fall to your death. If you slip... It's just a few inches. That's what it's like when you know that Christ has you. When you keep this tension. When you you hold fast and you try and work hard in your salvation, yet at the same time knowing you're safe. Christ has you. You cannot shake the grip of salvation because his grip is on you. There's great freedom there. Confidence to walk boldly, for one. Confidence to live out your faith out loud in this hostile world. To actually open your mouth. Because what can the world do to you? Christ has you. To embrace being a stranger in a strange land. To live as Daniel did, very differently from the world. 
to respond like Paul did boldly before when he challenged Peter, when he was before Felix and King Agrippa. Confidence to approach the throne of grace boldly, as it says in Hebrews 4, because of what Christ has done for us. Secondly, knowing the net is inches below you gives you not just confidence to walk boldly, but courage to take risks. Have you ever noticed that the tightrope walkers with a net below them, you know, they'll, they'll jump rope on the tightrope or sit in a chair or bicycle or get on each other's shoulders? They're taking all kinds of risks because they know if they fall, there's a net right there. I think that's what Jesus was meaning when he said, to his disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. It's really freeing to know that Christ will come through for you. Thirdly, the net gives you freedom from fear. When you're 25 stories up without a net, there's a lot of fear. If you watch that, they, get, they had that overhead view that was terrifying. One false move, and you die. You don't survive 25 stories. I think this is the lesson for those who have a lot of fear in their life. Christ Christ has you. The net is right there. You don't have to fear. He who promised is faithful. He will catch you. You can never fall to your death. And, and that freedom from fear has another effect on the tightrope, and that is, it gives you joy in the walk. When there's an absence of fear, it's really like a, a vacuum. When, there's a, when fear goes away, joy rushes in and fills that vacuum. When you walk on that curb with your friends, you skip and jump, you smile. You, you're enjoying that three inches. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Joy flourishes when fear relinquishes. And lastly, having Christ as your net below you in your walk towards eternity gives you total assurance that you'll make it. Because, you know, you will misstep. You will fall. If you're, if you're at all putting one foot in front of the other on that straight and narrow path, you will falter. But the net is two, two inches underneath you. You fall into that, that springy net, and then you, you get back on and you keep going. And you fall, and you know what? You get back up on and you keep going. You will make it. Because Christ has you. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There's the picture right there. As you fall, you get right back up on the wire. 
And that's the essence of our text this morning. Pull on that rope that is attached to Christ our anchor. Hold fast, even though you're held fast. Grip tight, even though he's got his grip on you. Persevere, even though your salvation is totally protected. Work hard, all the while knowing in the context that the work has been accomplished for you by Christ on the cross. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, you have promised to apply it to our lives. And so, Spirit, we ask you to do that right here for those who are fearful. Lord, let them know that you've got them. For those of us who are tempted to have spiritual apathy because of what Christ has done, press in and let us know that we should persevere. In Jesus' name, amen.